I believe life is one big spiritual creative experience and everything that we do, whether it's start a business, write a book, fall in love, or I don't know, pull a bunch of tarot cards, has a little spiritual lesson wrapped up inside of it. I'm obsessed with trying to understand the mysteries of the world from the arcane to the mundane and unboxing as many spiritual lessons as I can. And on the 12th house, we're going to explore all of that. So let's get into it together. Hi, welcome back. It's me, Michelle, and we are continuing on our 12th house, 8th house series. This podcast is called The 12th House, and this series that we're focusing on for the next couple of weeks is called The 8th House, The House of Other People's Money. And the intention, if you haven't listened to the other episodes, I would recommend going back and checking them out. I think you'll find them interesting. The intention is to shine a light on this mysterious house in astrology, but also this mysterious, elusive concept in the world, which is other people's money. (laughs) And how does it work? And how do we relate to it? And what is there to learn about it? Because everyone, at least I think, everyone can stand to examine their relationship to money, wealth, accumulation, abundance, and just put their beliefs on trial around it for better or for worse. And today I'm really excited and hashtag blessed to have the incredible Liza Fenster, also known as Crow Mother, on the show. Liza and I met each other many moons ago back in 2019, the fall of 2019. And we met at a dinner and I was so intimidated by Liza because she's this like gorgeous, tall, incredible. (laughs) You can just feel the magic in her and like her knowing what she knows. You're like, okay, you have, you see everything about me (laughs) for better or worse. And I obviously fell in love with her immediately. And we had this magical moment where we didn't really speak at this dinner, but I can't remember if it was on that same trip or a later trip. It might have been like another, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, where we saw each other from across the subway platform in New York. And we just, if you've ever had a moment with someone, it's just so cinematic. It's so literary to be on these opposite platforms, but in the same place at the same time, moving in different directions, but having this convergence, this like Venn diagram overlap of here we both are. And we can't really say anything to each other substantial, but we can just like see each other and be with each other from a distance. Anyways, I've loved her ever since. And Liza and I were recently talking about this book called Overcoming Under Earning. And quick little foundational, <laughs> let's plant some roots. The book Overcoming Under Earning is by Barbara Stanny. It's a fantastic book. It's a tiny little package. It's not a long, heavy book, but I say in this conversation with Liza, this book changed me. I read like every single spiritual book around money that you could possibly read. Like if it was published before 2016, I read it. And like maybe even I read, I've read some books since just to see what's out there. And none of them really helped me. They definitely taught me things about how other people see money and relate to it and abundance and I read The Secret along with everyone else in 20, 2006 or whatever, whenever it came out, 2007. I, that, that stuff never worked for me. And then I, when, my, when I moved to LA, got into this manifestation practice and I just couldn't, I felt, I felt like I was like missing some important information. And the book Overcoming Under Earning came up and I read it and I was like, this was the information. Like, I don't often feel like there's some secret key that like, if I just do X, Y, Z, this, and I get this one hint, then everything will come together. Like, I think that's rarely the answer. But I will say that this book felt like, like foundational, like a lodestone that was missing in my foundational understanding of abundance and money and wealth and how to make money and how to share money and the energetics of money. So all that being said, it, was a game changer for me. I like literally remember where I was during I listened to this book on tape. I remember where I was standing and what I was wearing when I was listening to certain chapters. It just really made an impact on me. And I recommend it as often as I can when I'm teaching class. I think I recommended it in Creators Cashing In this time around. Liza was in class and she read it and we got to talking about it. And I wanted to have her on because Liza is just a fount of knowledge, both from a spiritual perspective and just practically, she has done so much in her life and is so accomplished and has gone through so much, has had so many experiences. And because, like I said, she's really tapped in. And 
something that's always really that, that gives me a thank <laughs> is how many practitioners, spiritual practitioners, people that have insane access to information, information from beyond like higher knowledge, how much they know, how much we can know, and also how much we can still struggle with because we're human. And I love hearing from really, really real spiritual practitioners about what they have learned from their clients and connecting to spirit or source or whatever ancestors. And Liza has a ton to share on on that, which is fascinating. And I was excited to hear that she was getting so much out of overcoming under earning on her first read. She's now on her second read. And I wanted to hear from her how that clicked and what it was like. And she's just such a brilliant, intelligent, wise person that I thought it would be fun to go into this groundbreaking book, this life-changing book, how it's impacted both of us and the way that we think about other people's money, (laughs) including our own. And also because Liza, as you will hear in this episode, has a ton of planets in the eighth house. So we have a lot in common when it comes to thinking about money and other people's money. And I just think that you will hopefully really get something out of this because anytime you get to listen to Liza, like I think her downloads like restructure your DNA <laughs> in a in a to the positive. If you're already a Crow Mother fan, I've got good news. We have a long combo here. And if you don't know Crow Mother, also good news because prepare to have your mind blown. And with that, let me racking my brain if there's any other things that you need to know about the world. I think that's it. I think that's it. If you like this episode and if you like the 12th House podcast, you like these types of conversations, I really think that you would love the 12th House Plus. It's our premium subscriber feed and you can join on Apple or Spotify podcast for $5 a month. You get two extra episodes every month. One episode is like a green room kind of conversation. It's more, it's like this episode with Liza where like sharing a little bit more behind the scenes, more fifis, more sometimes hot goss. And the other episode each month is an audio course that I teach. So if you like this conversation, I think you would really like the 12th House Plus. And there's a nice backlog of 12th House Plus premium episodes now that you can go binge and enjoy once you join. So with that, I'm going to let, I'm going to, let's just get into the episode and I hope you enjoy it. I've met a lot of spiritual, psychic, intuitive, powerful people being in running holisticism and just, I guess, being a person in the world. And you're one of those people where you just like, I swear that the air around you like shimmers because you are such a potent force and you so obviously have access to so much information that other people don't. I would guess knowing you through your deep study, but also because you have these incredible intuitive gifts and because you're a curious person. So I wanted to talk to you because you are just such a, you know so much. I wanted to talk to you about this eighth house concept of other people's money. You're a powerful healer and intuitive and you read cards for people and teach people how to read the cards, but you do so much more than that. Although that is a huge thing in and of itself. And we have been talking with each other about the book Overcoming Under-Earning and the concept of under-earning and wanted to lay the groundwork to first ask you, what have you learned about money and about wealth? Uh, Someone who probably helps a lot of people with those questions when it comes to when they come to readings for you. I guess not to sum up everything, but yeah, what would you say your present takeaway or relationship to like wealth and money and abundance based on how you read for other people or what you've learned. Pardon my language. Take your own fucking advice, <laughs> right? Like take your own fucking advice is like the most digestible way that I've been able to see this. And it's only been in the last nine months out of all this time. Because where I begin with everybody in my work is from a place of interconnectivity because I don't think I have a choice anymore. And, and that's on every in every category you can imagine. But for the sake of our conversation, I've learned in my work 
through taking Inanna's journey, Persephone's journey into ahead of people, right? It's like when I sit with someone in any kind of session one-on-one, I go ahead of them. They're back there and they know that I'll come back with some information. I'll plunk it down on the table and then we'll sift through it together. And all hundreds, thousands of these sessions, non-physical entities have consistently every single time. And that's a big statement. I'm aware of that. Uh, show me that they, it, them, I don't fucking know. They don't test. They don't dangle carrots. They do not. I want to be clear. I'm not talking about ghosts. I'm not talking about demons. I'm not talking about ancestors. Guys, I'm talking about beings that have never been human. What the fuck do they need to do that for? Okay, so we take that, we put that right there. And that means that in work, seen enough times, and that's the other part of my learning curve as an individual, is that it has taken thousands of sessions for me to believe it, which is it is what it is. It's part of my chart. It's part of my life. And now I believe it. And also, it's only been in the last 90 days. Nine months ago, something changed to where I was able to really see my connectivity to people that I sit with and read for. Three months ago, I had a sad thing. It made it necessary for me to not read for people one-on-one because it was mandibular and jaw surgery, right? So I didn't read for people for almost three months. And I sit and watch and listen a lot. And I talk to them a lot. And they told me the same thing that they offer to anyone that sits with me. So a very long answer to a short and simple question is that it's true. If the desire for financial abundance enters my heart, it's not a tease. It's not a... Sorry, kid, your Chiron is here. And that's it just bees like that. Because to hem this up as nicely as I think I'm capable, I really believed because I have a really wild eight house stellium. Like more than five of my planets are in the eighth house. More than five, I think. Really? I swear. I think seven. Whoa. Yeah. And so I thought from a peaceful place that like my relationship to other people's money was assist was watching celebrating back to dame cameron miss julia if you're nasty i thought that i was like oh i'm the cheerleader and i'm okay with that no baby okay but that's another decade of learning and then i was like whoa okay wait so my relationship to other people's money is it's a big part of my job is leading people through the pathway of information to get them wherever the hell it is they want to be financially or in terms of systems of worth. And that was where I felt my connection to other people's money stopped until about 90 days ago. Uh, And then you recommended that book. And within, I would say, 120 seconds, I had purchased the shit and with it and yeah, it's so what I'm learning, and I'm praising it that way, is because I've learned it and I'm still very much learning slowly and in a way that, like, I put my heel on the ground first and I allow my the balls of my feet to come down second slow. And when we come up in from a pose, we do, we try to do it one vertebrae at a time. That's very much what this feels like for me, as I'm very much like trying to feel the air between my vertebrae. What's this in terms of? other people's money. Is it okay for me to take other people's money, for me to earn other people's money, for me to filter through other people's money, systems of work? And I'm saying that so slowly because when you rescue a dog or a cat and you let them out of their kennel and there's like fucking low to the ground, they know that they're safe energetically, but they don't know where they are. That's where I'm at with other people's money. People pay me. People love to pay me to do my job. And now that I'm here at this seemingly monolithic place of viewing more deep and expansive relationship to money as not someone who is a working witch, as someone whose obsession is on magic and helping and healing and all of the weird shit that we like to talk about. Spent a lot of time 
as a Pisces moon, not understanding the boundary between their circumstances and my own. And those are no longer my circumstances. I'm in my mid 40s. I should not be energetically where I have been at all these different iterations of my life. Yeah. Uh, an interesting relationship with the word get, right? I get to move on. I get to make money. I get to be rich if I want to be. And I don't know why I have so many feelings about that. But what feels better at the moment is because I can hear them right now. They're saying you can if you want to. Do you want to? Wouldst thou like a taste of butter? Yes. I would very much like a taste of butter. <laughs> okay, bet. Good butter costs money. I like that. The get, what you just like landing on that, that for a second, the relationship to the word get, and then you can choose. You get to choose if you want that or not. So I'm studying to become a financial therapist. I think mostly because I feel like with my son in the eighth house, I am forever going to be trying to understand wealth, money, my relationship to money, worth, other people's relationship to worth, other people's money, what the boundary between me and someone else is, if there is a boundary at all, like we're all the same thing, that money is made up, that that value is randomly assigned and how interesting all of that is. I'm just always trying to make my way through it. And I feel like that's why I'm like training to become a financial therapist because I'm like, more people need to be talking about this, myself included. I just need a vehicle to experiment with it. But one thing that I'm obsessed with right now, I can't stop fix- hyperfixating on is the concept that wealthy people know when enough is enough and rich people don't. So you can be rich, right? But you're uh, like aiming for and more and more. Like it's you, you set a goal and then you reach that goal, but then you continue to like move the goalpost for yourself. And that true wealth is knowing enoughness. Like, what is it that I need? And I'm not saying settling I'm or working with this concept of what is it that I say that I want? What does abundance mean to me? Maybe abundance means $500,000 a year. Maybe abundance means $150,000 a year and I work four days a week. Maybe abundance means I have a fucking fat 401k that I pay into every year and I can retire at 55 and anything before that really doesn't matter because that's what abundance is and that's what enough is to me. That's what wealth is to me. And I know for myself, because I can only speak to my own experience when I was like, and when I become so worried about money or other people's money, I'm never thinking about enoughness. I'm always thinking about like being like the pool vent at the bottom of the pool that just like sucks as much water in as possible, like a endless flow, like it can't get enough. It's never satisfied. That's my energy. And I feel if I can shift to like, wait, but what would enough be? Like what, when would I be full? That kind of snaps me out of it, but it's so hard to, it's almost like I get transfixed or mesmerized. Do you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I know exactly what you're saying. I I take my son as often as I can to Legoland. And Legoland, where I currently live, is in the most fancy mall I've ever been in my life. And like <laughs> you walk up and it's like Celine McQueen and there's, yeah, it's, I'm like, oh. And that's been a very interesting meditative study because he was just out uh-huh. on holiday break. So we went like a grip of times to build Legos for some hours. So I played the game. Okay, what would you do? If you, and this is a thousand percent relative to what you were just saying, when is it enough? And what is the source of that desire? Because for me, it's going to come from a number of sources, uh, origins, excuse me. There's a particular luxury store in there, starts with an F, and they have a particular bag right now and that I'm like, I don't need it, but I need it. And I've thought, well, babe, you could go in there and get it but then the truth is it's not enough it would because then like i get the bag and then it's like i have the bag and then i put it back in the duster and i was just there three days ago the last thing i said is a desire for myself and i can apply this because i also love cars gonna join my my mood board for this year as a car club girl (laughs) 
walking through any environment, but specifically the house of money, houses of money, and feeling bored up at every place of myself as of that. Like if I think, okay, I'm the six foot tonics base that just walks around, she's full. She actually sloshes over sometimes. And sometimes when she has held so much for so many, because that's my job as a haha, a sin eater, so to speak, there's no more space in there. And so maybe that is the desire for this F bag still there. Most of the time, it's not. And I apply that to money, like cash, like my, my wallet. When I look at my bank accounts, when I think about the author of that book saying, sometimes under-earning doesn't always mean six-figure. It often does, but it doesn't always. There's, I mm-hmm. love, love, love that. She was very clear and consistent and repetitive about the fucking steps, like, Babes, if you have made $35,000 a year for a lot of years, right, and you want to make 110, 115, can that happen? Yeah, bet your ass. Is it going to happen in the next three weeks? Most likely, no. And when is it, what is enough? Like the enoughness. Am I full? There's a book called The Tawny Scrawny Lion. Okay. It's a book for kids. It's a little golden book. It is my favorite book that I read my kid consistently. He began the story tawny and scrawny. He should have been full for all of the animals that he chased, but he was always hungry. He took time. He was nourished. He became, and I quote, fat as butter and sleek as sat. Wow. Rounded by fat little bunnies that he could have, should have wanted to eat, but he was full. He had enough. He was nourished. When I'm financially nourished, I'm like, wait a minute. Like, what what number feels good to me? I can deal in specifics, right? I know that, for example, what's on my plate right now is I feel comfortable having X amount in the accounts that I have. But I also know that it is now January and within the next three weeks, summer camp registration is going to open up and that's going to cost a grip so and so i need is do i have enough or is enough like you're saying exactly what you're saying is enough malleable is it mutable Mm -hmm. for me enoughness and nourishment it's very helpful if it's mutable i love the way that you just said nourishing wealth versus like junk food junk food abundance, the like bottomless pit where you can eat a bunch, but you never feel full. You're constantly having to consume and take in. Damn. I'm going to think about that a lot because it it has, and you use the best sort of descriptive words of like butter and silkiness. It does have that weighty, like it's French butter, baby. It just is like, it's the, it's, it just feels so hearty and, and lush. And that's how I want to feel at least right now in my life when it comes to thinking about wealth in abundance for me and the wealth and abundance I'm trying to create in my life in every aspect of my life. I have done a lot of spiritual work around money. I was like a an artist in my early 20s and made no money. And I feel like that was a huge thing for me. I fell into the manifestation hole following manifestation gurus in my late 20s. And that was a little scary. Mm. But finding the book, Overcoming Under Earning, I think with it, I don't know, maybe three months of reading it, I had my like most shocking, surprising, groundbreaking changes and experiences with money in my life. And then everything pretty like copacetic sense. And that was probably five years ago, six years ago. And it's such a simple book, but it's so powerful. And I would love to hear from you on your first reading, like, because you were DMing me, you're like, God damn it, this book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I read Tasha Silver's book. I read every single book around money and making money yours and being rich and a spiritual person. I And so many of us have. And ever since I was like young, since I remember being like 16 and going to the library and reading books about manifestation and the secret. And for some reason, overcoming under earning was the spiritual text I needed. So I'd love to hear from you. What was different in this one? Or what were your takeaways from it? Because practical magic is really that girl, so to speak. And that book is so full of 
the power of the quote unquote mundane. I not seek to change my concept of financial literacy. I'm thinking, I think I had to be at least 30, somewhere between 33 and 35. I could just, because I was not responsible for anyone except if I had a dog at the time, it was just me and I could get money. I was just going to go get money. I'm going to make money. My first reading of overcoming under earning is looking back at something that I'm writing or drawing, right? Standing back and seeing it from my relation or my capacity to quote unquote, just go make money. Mm -hmm. Seeing it from an entirely different point of view because I have been so good at just hustling it. I guess we could just call it that I would almost take whatever was available. Oh, it's there. Quick, bah, mine. But the great pause with a capital P, really hearing her, because I am listening to it again for the second time already. And she talks about, she doesn't use the words pausing, but to consider what all systems are worth, right? And my time, what is my time worth? The amount of time that it takes me to get to this place, the amount of time that it takes me to study for offering so on and so forth, right? That she has lent, the author of this book, so much depth to my concept of worth because there have been things that are just so easy for me to do, to just quickly do a thing and make it happen. Or there have been things, for example, with my job, that I love my job. So it is my obsession my work is my upset. It's all I think about. <laughs> but because I love it so much, there are parts of it that are very easy. And there are parts that I continue to be a student of, right? She has changed and is still changing the way I view income, right? Like if it's a pain in my ass, when I used to run businesses for people, it was a pain in my ass. And most of the time I didn't want to be there. Give me my money, run me my check. Okay. But I, doing this, what I do full time, I'm like, oh, it's fine. I'm just happy to be here. If she is really, if she's really ripped the fucking rug out from under my feet to be like, wait, babe, this isn't a hobby, is what she's saying without saying. <laughs> and for the first time, I am looking at what I do. I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but we're amongst friends here. <laughs> for the first time. I'm looking at what I do as a job because of overcoming under earning and making a job description expectation for what each part of that job entails so that I can understand what my relationship mm. is to the job that I do. And once I can understand each aspect of it, then I'd be like, wait a fucking minute. I spend so much time doing each part of this minutia and I'm only asking for, or I'm going to be like, oh, whatever you think is best. Well, what's your consulting fee? Oh, what do you got? What? Oh, and it is only since listening to that book. When I do that, I am alone or the child is deeply preoccupied elsewhere. I'll listen to something <laughs> and then I'll run it back and then I'll pause it. And then I'll sit with it for a second and then I'll start play again. And then I chew on it. I take great pleasure in my life and the work that I do. And as such, I have felt that I don't need or deserve to command a certain amount of money because it is so pleasurable to me. That's an interesting thought. Why are pleasure and security disconnected? Mm -hmm. Are you a sh right? And then it, we just go down into like a rabbit hole after rabbit hole. And oof. Yep. I mean, everyone go back and rewind that. Rewind what Liza just said. <laughs> I take great pleasure in my life and the work that I do. And as such, I have felt that I don't need or deserve to command a certain amount of money because it is so pleasurable to me. That's an interesting thought. Why are pleasure and security disconnected? I don't have to like cap out my pleasure, 
there's nothing wrong in asking for exactly what you want, which is to enjoy my job and to get paid well for it. For the last couple of years, I'm continuously looking at my relationship to pleasure. The pleasure of liking a food so much that I'm enthusiastic, the pleasure of you name it. The final frontier is my work because it's so responsibility. It is, it is how I pay my mortgage. It is how I do all of these really serious things that hinge on so many serious things. And finally, since in the last 90 days and then fast forward to 30 days of this book, whoever it is that communicates with me on this level or whatever it is, would you like to feel joy? You earn the money that gets you to this point and this point. Shout out Esther Hicks, right? Like, why do I want this thing? I want this money because when I do this, I have this money, it helps me do this thing. And when I do this thing, actually my son's eyes light up and it is everything. Okay, great. Let's go get the money, they say. So now, since listening to this book, now in my second iteration, I'm now on the disciplined aspects of it. Okay, so do I have enough lip bombs in this little pouch or is buying another going to get me toward the number I see in my head when I think of overcoming under earning? No, another lip balm is not. It's <laughs> right back to exactly what you Enoughness. Am I satiated? Am I nourished? Why do I need that? It's a gnarly slope, right? As a person in recovery who is also sensitive in all the ways that we are, it requires me to pause, do that capital P pause. Is this going to nourish me or is this going to just feed the beast for the moment? Sometimes to feed the beast, be a big fat liar. If I was like, I never choose to get the fucking lip balm and feed the beast. That's a lie. Sometimes I do. Like, sweetheart, what do you need right now? And honestly, sometimes, sometimes it is the lip balm. Like, there are things that I've bought that every time I use it, I'm like, this is magical. This is magical. It was worth the $32. Way too expensive, but it was worth it. And, but not way too expensive. Like it's my favorite thing. I love how it makes me feel. It makes me show up with so much confidence or so many things. Now for every one of those I have, there's probably 10 things that I bought thinking, oh, this will be it. This will make me the person I want to be, or this will contribute to making me the person I want to be that I, I touched once and I forgot about, or I used for a week and then I put it in a cabinet somewhere. And that's complicated. There's so many layers of that, right? You know, accumulation, but also ADHD or having a squiggly brain or just like living in a consumerist society with capitalism and trends and everything that's dying for our attention. There's a lot, but I also don't want to, I don't want to pull anyone's leg hair or lie. Like sometimes when I buy things, I feel really good and I don't regret it. And I'm like that who that made me. But again, I guess who that made me it's not the thing. It's my relationship to the thing that made me. There's something that I've picked up and have really been sitting on and thinking about that you mentioned about taking your son every week to this one place for a year. And as a result, it has fed you. I've been thinking about that in my house, my big ape house, but also this house. Mm -hmm. When my family and I, my little family and I left New York, we left New York not because of COVID. It was because I felt like a penny rolling around in a tin fucking can. And I closed on this house in, by a FedEx mm -hmm. overnight in February of 2020. And every day in New York was like, I said, get the fuck out. I have like full body chills and I want to throw up, which is always a good sign. And I remember when you moved. And I was like, what does happen? But is New York. Why is she moving? And then I was I like, know. no, wait, no, she's not. Acting. Like, it's really important that she moves. So both my husband and I work for ourselves, for better or worse. You know, my husband had a practice in, in Brooklyn for a long time. And the sale of it completely disintegrated 72 hours before we were hiking ourselves up in no. the moving trips. Yes, Michelle, yes everything down the drain. What that means is, is for those listening, my husband's a chiropractor. Hey, babe. Dr. Mike. Hi. 
when people buy packages for a month of adjustment or whatever, right? If he has not fulfilled those promises, he must pay all of that back. And that's essentially what happened. And so not only did we, did all of it go kaput, like every piece of furniture that was in that office space, but every speck of money tied up in packages, et cetera, we had to give. And so our mutual, our joint relationship to money, it's been interesting. And to say the least, connecting that to my observation of you this past week, have tried so hard because he's a cat Venus. He builds me a legacy. We have tried so hard to do the right thing, right? In all capitals and to rebuild after a significant loss or a significant learning curve. And also rebuilding a practice where we know nobody here, right? Mm -hmm. We have not had a lot of fun. In, in terms of let's go here and let's go here and I'm going to buy the tiniest bikini I can find and frolic with you in the ocean, which is my favorite thing in the world to do because we have equated with making sure we're shored up very much. And in this last week, when I saw that picture of Rhodes' little hands, right, it like sent me right back to the ocean and sent me right back to the embodiment of wholeness, of nourishment. And how some fucking times you just have to buy the lipstick. Sometimes you just have to buy, you have to book the trip. Because when I think about specifically the ocean and my absence from her in the last bit of time, has been painful, believe it or not, because we have wanted to just rebuild and reshore ourselves. Yeah. I think that sometimes you can make more money. You are charged with inspiration when you're fed and if you are seeking to be fed from the same place at the same time every single day in day out you will run out of nourishment and i owe that to you honestly no i'm not trying to guess you when i say that it's the truth i saw that picture and i was thinking about the north shore of new york out in mattatuck i was thinking about Miami Beach and how if you go in August after the sun goes down and you take your clothes off, keep your panties on because you will get arrested. You jump in the water. It feels <laughs> like a bath. Wow. It does. And the moon's out and you're free. And maybe you're with friends. Maybe you're with your lover. Don't ever go alone after doing it. And you're saying, let's go make stuff. You shake the salt water out of your hair and you're like, I'm ready to go make some, I'm ready to go meet people. I'm ready to open up my sky. I'm ready to like help. I'm ready to build. I'm ready to grow. I'm ready to create. I'm ready to receive. And so I knew that we were going to have this conversation for the last week. I did not know that I was going to see that image. And there, there's something about that and the way that you worded that, that has really been boring a whole like in what I thought I knew. And once again, I'm delighted to be wrong. Delighted to be wrong. I, it's good to be wrong about shit like this for me, especially where it concerns other people's money. When I let the world feed me, I let the ocean feed me, I let the flowers feed me, I let somebody fucking else feed me instead of me doing all the work all the time. Like I see how delightful it is to be fed from another hand. And I want more. And if I'm coming from a place of stasis within my own self, and the thing about stasis is that it is always subject to change. And so the expectation of what stasis looks like for me today is, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I just could listen to you talk all day. I feel like you need to have a show. <laughs> you need to have a podcast just or you need to have a YouTube channel. Where you just like get ready and you just talk to the camera and so I can listen to it and watch it while I'm just going about my day. But every line is so potent. It's like you're speaking in, in a poem. But what I want to double click on in particular. Okay, the picture you're referring to, Liza, that to anyone who's on the internet who's like, what the fuck are they talking about? I take my son to this garden every week and it's a garden and museum and we just walk around for like five hours. <laughs> And look at all the gardens and it's amazing. And sometimes we go look at artwork and he's a baby. So he kind of doesn't really care, but he also loves it. And there's not a playground or anything. It's not like particularly stimulating 
other than it being really beautiful and nature and changing all the time and totally stimulating. And I usually take them in an afternoon on a weekday. And a past version of me two years ago would have been like, oh my God, you're not working on a Tuesday afternoon. And you're like just walking around some garden and you see the same shit every week. How is that useful? Like, how is that? How are you growing from that? How are whatever? And the shocking or surprising thing has been that's probably been like the portal to all of my best, most creative, most inspired ideas. Everything like, you know, made me money in the last year that I know is going to make me money in the next five years has been born either in those moments or out of directly out of those moments. And when you were describing what you and Dr. Mike went through, Mm. it reminds me so much of the feeling that like, we want to get through the pain or the lesson really quickly and be like, okay, let's rebuild. Rebuilding sucks. And it does sometimes. And it's painful. And I just want to be done with it. And let's do it as fast as we can. So let's put everything that's fun on hold because we can't do fun stuff right now. We just want to get through the homework, like whatever the homework is. We can't go out for recess. We can't go play for a second. I just want to get through this, get to the end of it. And while that's really admirable and sometimes the right strategy, a lot of the time the strategy is like about longevity. And yes, of course, we want to get to the end of it. We want to be in the place where we feel like secure and stable and like we've rebuilt to where we were before and beyond. We can like have pleasure before then. (laughs) Like we can have interstitials of pleasure in the rebuilding process. And it doesn't mean that we've taken our eye off the ball. And far from it. It just means that it doesn't have to consume our every day and 24-7. And it can still be your focus. You can be focused on something for four hours a day and have your attention be elsewhere for the other 20 hours. Still like totally accurately claim that it's your focus because it is. Four hours of your direct enthusiasm and attention is still a lot of a lot more than what most people give anything in their lives. I just am grateful that you shared what you with the two of you what your family has been going through and building and working on because it's a vulnerable thing to share and also it unlocked it just unlocked something in me of like yeah like I totally relate to wanting to get to just be done with the thing like I want to mainline and work really hard and put my head down and then I'll come up for air at the end but like I don't have to come up for air before it's funny it makes me think about the one and only time I've been to a haunted house, my adult life, was when Mike and I were just dating. We were special friends. And we went to this haunted house and I ran. I like heisman my way through the whole fucking thing because I was terrified and was in and out of that bitch in less than 10 minutes. I just want it <laughs> over with. I can't deal with it. And yeah, and I think this past to New York because I've been traveling for work to see my in-person clients either to New York or LA. Um, the logistics of my work responsibilities and things that I was beholden to were such that I had one thing on a sat a mother blessing on a Saturday, and I had nothing else. I wasn't teaching until Tuesday, and I was in New York, childless, and. I made time to be with my family. Never, as often as I'm there, I never see family. Never. Um, I don't have time. And so we had dinner. And then I went and looked at art for hours and hours and hours. And something interesting happened. I have never seen Eve's Clyde Blue in person. And I saw it for the first time. And I had a visceral reaction to that particular color. That has not happened since I saw Osh Klimt at the Guggenheim or three or four years oh ago. The only time I cried, literally, I cried. Pre-pandemic, right? Yes. It was the last. Yeah. It was the last one. It was January 1st of 2020 was when I saw Osh Klimt at the Guggenheim. And uh, that was the last time I think made time to see art. Um, and it was uh, those two times looking at that color blue, thinking about what it, stirred up in me and the pleasure it must have been for him to create that color. It wasn't profitable for him to create that color. At the time, at the time, he was just fucking around, Mm -hmm. mixing some stuff together. And then now there's a weirdo (laughs) at the Met, like getting (laughs) misty-eyed over a color. And then I come home and I see you taking road to this place every week. And I'm like, worth systems of worth and other people's money and and other people's work 
the people that create the garden that you go to every week, the people that create the art that are on the walls, other people's work, other people's worth, other people's money. It's all. Yes, that is so brilliant. When you take in and like really luxuriate in the pleasure of other people's work, admire it and just get to like roll around in it and take a bath in it and rub up against it and just lick it like and really find pleasure in it. You are in the house of other people's money like you and and that's how and then that that's how other people experience you. And that's when people want to pay. And you do that every week. And so no wonder. No wonder. Very lucky that we live very close to some very amazing, excellent, easy places to enjoy and to see that stuff. And your practice of walking past the F store, that's it too, right? When I come up the escalator, I see the words Alexander McQueen. <laughs> okay. Did you see the documentary? Yeah. The pleasure that she took, the maniacal obsession over tailoring and lines. I don't give a fuck. It's not what it used to be. It's none of my business. And who the hell am I? I'm not the arbiter of tailoring it, Alexander McQueen. But the bottom line is whenever I see his name taking Yona to the fucking Lego store, I'm like, oh, it pokes at my eighth house stallion. It like the creation Mm -hmm. of that art. And I never, I don't know, the way I'm set up, I don't know about you. I can take pleasure in almost anything. Oh, yeah. There's so many things I didn't get, but with time and experience and trying on a piece of McQueen, a garment, I'm like, oh, I get it. I take pleasure here in in the work that they've created. And when I wear Pat McGrath, specific red, her obsession Mm. with color theory and chemistry, I'm like, I can feel it. And so in in a way of an of looking at consumption and other people's money and my am back to something that we talked about a little while ago am i allowed to consume am i is it okay for me to take of you to take your money and doing what i do as i expand on my job description that has been prompted mm-hmm. by this book i was just like talking shit to mike one day and i was like they could do anything he's like yeah, why not? Do it. It would be great. And Michelle, it doesn't matter what it is. Because <laughs> I'll say, I can't do I can't do get ready with me videos. He goes, why the fuck not? Why not? Talk about ghosts. <laughs> Talk about ghosts and like your work while you put all the products in your hair. And I'm like, I can't do that. And he's like, why the fuck not? Right. I would subscribe to that, by the way. I would subscribe to that YouTube channel. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you right That's- now. I would be obsessed with that. <laughs> But when I when I partake of other people's content, when I consume other people's worth and work, you know who's great at this? Erin Parsons, the makeup queen on on. Oh my god! A hack. Isn't she obsessed with what she does? She and when you watch someone in their bag, like you're consuming like their right their connection to their own worth, and I am witnessing. I think. their genius, their connection to an eye intern. It's back to the connection to the eighth house and their work, their money, what they create. You do that to watch you in your bag and your various bags like is also very much that. And so denying oneself access to other people's money, to other people's, if I deny myself other people's money, now that I'm sitting here talking to you about it, I'm like, then I might as well deny myself the view of getting to watch Michelle talk about this and that this system and that, how to create this and how to, what they learned about this. Like, I wouldn't get to do that. I wouldn't get to view me McQueen's razor sharp lime on this suit, the French cut shirt. It's the same fucking thing. Same thing. That is so true. I've never thought about it that way or articulated it that way before, but it's totally true that if you can't enjoy other people doing their thing, like there is a connection or a correlation in some way to, I'm not going to say blocking, but inhibiting Mm. your ability to receive and to earn and to also be acknowledged. If you're (laughs) 
you're a hater <laughs> like all the time or you're like hate watching people or what there's something there not just in the oh if i'm a hater i'm afraid of what everyone's going to think of me so i've been like censoring myself i'm not fully being myself i'm not showing out i'm not like putting myself out there to be consumed and witnessed there's that but also just the like you're not in yeah you're not in pleasure like you couldn't possibly be if you're not really allowing yourself to have the pleasurable experience of others so the world Einstein's wormhole theory right it looks just like that you go like this it goes in yeah and it comes out I'm consuming Michelle I'm consuming Aaron Parsons I'm consuming that delightful woman that crochets hats for her two elderly pit bulls yes or I'm consuming a facial or this or whatever it is. Mindfully, there's a difference between that and what and then just feeding the beast, right? What I was talking about. Then it's, it comes in and it goes out. It comes in and it goes out. It comes in and it goes out. And if we are in community together and you happen to be listening to this conversation with Michelle, this is reason number Eight million six hundred and fifty-three thousand two hundred and thirty-eight. Why community is so important. I'm talking to you. If you, I can feel you already listening to this. I can feel you ahead of time. We, we must connect in those ways for circulation and worth and pleasure. Yes. Way to put. Way to land this plane. I was like, we could be, we keep going. Shit. I know. And I was like, <laughs> at this point, I'm just trying to like have budget keep talking. Liza, how can people find you and work with you? You're an incredible teacher. You are an incredible seer. So how can people experience and witness you? Ecrowmother.com and sporadically on the internet. Crow.mother.channeling. You are such a gem. You're just such a gift. So thank you for staying in your work, like staying with it. It's so not easy. Not really. You have this infinite wisdom that it just somehow continues to expand exponentially. And it's beautiful to witness both when we get to get together online and also witnessing, you know, from behind the screen. Oh, thank you for existing. We love you. Likewise. The 12th House is produced by the Holisticism team with theme music by Nathan McKay and edited by the incredible Softer Sound Studio, who you can find more information about in our show notes. Thanks for listening. 